I didn't want to focus so much on how much money I made. I really just wanted to focus on doing good deals, getting them done, and establishing a track record. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention FunNet Flip because FunNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health, and they make the whole process really easy, and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out. They've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you, and on average, they can save you 400 bucks a year, and it only takes 10 minutes. Go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever. That's S-T-R-I-D-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless and happy Saturday. Hope you're having a wonderful start to your weekend. And if this is the first time you've been listening, then really quick, this is a show that cuts out all the fluffy stuff and gets straight to the real estate investing advice that moves your business forward. And on the weekends, most of the time, we have special segments. On Saturdays, it's Situation Saturday, and Sunday, it's Skill Set Sunday. Today is Saturday, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what we're going to do today. Situation Saturday is all about a situation that we put our best ever guest in, and they talk us through how they would overcome the situation successfully because it's not theory-based, it's firsthand experience base. So they've been there and done that before and are currently doing it or it's fresh uh, on their mind because it was it was recently concluded. So with us, we have Michael Becker from Fort Worth, actually Dallas, Fort Worth. How you doing, Michael? Doing well, Joe. Nice to have you on the show. Michael is a previous best ever guest. In episode 22, you can hear his best ever advice and that title is Effective Ways to Add Value in Multifamily Properties. Now, here's the deal. Michael has been very active since uh, episode 22. Let's see, that aired on September the 27th, 2014. So over one year, 
And I'm just going to read his bio from when we published that episode, and then let's cross-reference that with where he's at right now, just to show the type of growth that he has, and and then we'll get into the situation that he's going to walk us through. So this is the bio that was a year ago, over a year ago. Michael Becker controls 800 units and is well on his way to 1,200, and he's done it all within the last 12 months. He's originated $250 million worth of debt, and he has 800 apartments, uh, multifamily units, and is is about to close on another 400. So 800 apartment uh, multifamily units and about to close on another 400, so that's 1,200. Today, one year, a little over a year, he is a managing member of over 2,000 units, and he sold a couple between now and then. So there have been some transactions and he's still up on the number of units. And he's a senior director at Old Capital Lending. He's also the principal at SPI Advisory. And I know you like podcasts. He's got a podcast that you'll get a lot of value from. Go subscribe to the podcast called Old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. Lots of really good insights. And after you get done with our conversation today, I highly suspect that you're going to go subscribe to his podcast based on the value that we've got. So, Michael, with that being said, can you give the best ever listeners just very quickly a little bit about your background and then let's dive into the situation? Yeah. So, Joe, I'm a banker by profession, spent 15 plus years uh, at both community banks and large national banks and uh, got out of the uh, corporate world about two years ago and uh, decided it was time to stop being a banker and and start being a a real estate investor. And uh, so I still do some mortgage brokerage, uh, mainly in the multifamily space. Uh, My company, um, one of five or six of us in that old capital lending and we do, we're pretty active in the BNC multifamily financing. And then uh, through SPI Advisory, we presently own 11 apartment complexes. We sold a couple, like you mentioned, and about 2,000 units, specializing in Class C and really trying to go from uh, more Class C into more newer um, Class B multifamily assets as I kind of mature and progress in the business. And that leads us to the situation, and you teed it up very nicely. So here's the situation: you are a you have multifamily. You're a multifamily business owner. You syndicate deals, and you want to continually evolve your business. That's How right. do you do that? Constantly putting uh, myself in situations I'm slightly out of my comfort zone, and then uh, <laughs> figuring it out. So we're uh, we're always trying to push and grow, and uh, you know uh, through my my you know almost I guess two decades now in banking and, and real estate business, I've been around a lot of people that that kind of do what I do, and the natural progression really. A lot of people go start in single family and progress into multifamily, and then once you're in there, you you when you start, you just kind of do what you can get done, which are usually little smaller deals a little bit older deal just because they cost less money and you don't have as much capital available. But as you uh, get a track record and you have more abundance of capital available to you, I just try to push and grow and, and get a little better quality assets, a little bit bigger, bigger deals because uh, the bigger they are and the better quality they are, then, you know, you can afford uh, more staff and better quality staff to run them for you and to have less uh, maintenance nightmares. So just all in all uh, becomes a little bit easier to operate the, the more experience that you have. All right, let's talk specifics as far as where what you have purchased and then what you see yourself purchasing in the future. 
Sure. So started out, we've done several deals. Um, the smallest deal I've done today has been 104 units. The largest has been we have a couple 260 unit deals. So really, what uh, you know, a lot of the deals, uh, you know, I focus only in the DFW area. So uh, Dallas is relatively a, a young city compared to some of like the the more established eastern cities like Pittsburgh or you know Cincinnati where you're from is much older. So the apartment stocks might be a little bit older in those those metros. But here in Dallas, uh, a lot of the the C supply, C class product supply was built in the 60s and 70s. So when I started out, most of the assets that I, that I own that I'm kind of trying to transition out of were built in the 60s and the 70s. I'm really trying to get into the the 80s and the 90s, really. So the the, the B product now and, and DFW really definitely in the 80s and starting to become the 1990s built product. So that's kind of where I'm trying to go. Really, my cutoff has been 100 units and up. It's been kind of my minimum. We're really transitioning that to it's now about 150, but really need to make it to 200 unit and up uh, multifamily properties, kind of where we're, we're looking to uh, kind of do um, as a minimum. And, and like I mentioned, the reason is just because the bigger these these properties are, the more revenue they produce and then the better quality and more staff you can hire. So it just really actually becomes easier and uh, these, these properties are more efficient than the, the smaller deals. Why uh, understand the unit size and, you know, bigger they are, the more economy of scale you have and better you can kind of price things out with expenses and then also, you know, amortize them over, you know, different number of units. But why the focus on newer product? Is it more profitable or is it just less headaches? So what I've experienced is the C-class properties look great on paper, and, and, and they have been. I mean, I'm trying to say that they aren't good investments, but what happens is you get things, um, these non-recurring expenses that keep recurring. So like your sewers, uh, these older properties have cast iron sewers, so the sewers uh, will you know get breaks in them, cause sewer backups. You're constantly having to spend thousands of dollars here and thousands of dollars there to, uh, to address sewer systems. The other thing uh, that I've experienced on a, on a handful of assets are these, some of the older properties, the cities have, you know, annual inspections of multifamily properties in Texas, and they kind of have a target for some of the C-class properties. So they'll start, you know, getting on your case and really, you know, making you change out some electrical systems and things like that that may or may not be necessary, but since it's an older asset and they're trying to, you know, uh, kind of uh, a lot of these inspectors have a li- little man disease where they're, uh, you know, four foot tall and think they're 10 foot tall and they really want to come <laughs> after you and uh, push you around. So um, those are some of the, the, the fun things that you deal with when you're dealing with older properties that you don't necessarily have to deal with with, with the newer stock. So while uh, the NOI might look like it'd be better and more profitable on some of these C-class deals, in reality, a lot of the stuff that's kind of below the line, the non-recurring expenses that keep recurring, actually ultimately at the end of the day pop up and take a hit to the uh, the, the bottom line when it's all said and done. How have you seen your asset management? Well, first off, let, let's let's uh, set the groundwork. Do you or do you have a company that manages the properties? Yeah, we have a third-party management companies manage our properties. I do not self-manage. So you're right. I just uh, asset manage the deals. Okay. And do you have the same third-party company manage all of your 2,000 units? No, we have two management companies. So we, we started out just with one. And when I talked to you last time, I only had one. 
And as we grew in the business and got more inventory, we thought it would be prudent to uh, kind of spread the risk across uh, a couple management companies. And so that's what we did. We hired a second management company and so we have, we have two of them. And like I said, I just kind of asset manage the, the deals. How have you seen the asset man your asset management skills evolve from the first acquisition to now? Much better. The more units we get, uh, I feel like uh, every deal you do, I'm, I'm learning something along the way that we kind of keep adding to the perpetual uh, checklist that we keep, we keep having more and more checklists on every on every process. And then we're to the point now in my company, we are um, building out infrastructure that we didn't have when we started. So we're, we were hiring, uh, we, we purchased software that allows us to do better portfolio management. So for example, we'll take the uh, management reports that have the income statement and balance sheet and rent roll, et cetera, drop into a portfolio management software and it does some basic analytics and puts um, what is going on, on on the paper into a graphical form. So you can easily identify trends or if anything's out of whack, um, the, the graphs really help you kind of your eye catch it and you can drill down into any sort of problem or anything that's going well pretty quickly. So we've been building out that capability as well as building certain databases and being more efficient the way we communicate with our investors and making sure that we're giving them timely and relevant updates to, to all their investments that they're in. Are you building that software where you drop in the you know the income statement or is that something you've purchased? We purchased a software called Resi Model, which is a relatively new software, portfolio management software. So it's called Resi Model. And uh, so we are implementing all our data into it. And then uh, we are building some databases that help us, you know, through, through access and a couple other different uh, ways where we can be a little bit more efficient in the way we communicate the data with our investors. And how much does that cost, the Resi model? That's a good question. I don't know. My, my business partner handles that. I think <laughs> it's only uh, five, six hundred bucks a year, I think, something like that. With, uh, with how you are, you know, approaching the, you know, the acquisitions, you know, you're going, you've, you've gone from C class to more B class. What has allowed you to go and have that evolution versus staying within the one class? I think a lot of it really is that I have a track record now. Um, I've successfully gone full cycle on a few deals that I've returned capital to investors. Um, we've, we've gone from, when we talked to you last, we own four deals in, in 800 units, and now we own you know 11 deals in 2,000 units. And just really getting a track record in the community that I that I'm in. It's a pretty small community, uh, even though you know DFW is a uh, metropolitan area, seven million people. There's only a handful of brokers that control the vast majority of the sales. So once you get a good reputation, that you do what you say you're going to do, and you have the ability, and you demonstrate the ability to close on on transactions, you can you know then steadily progress up the uh, the dollar range and do bigger and bigger deals. Um, and then having confidence that I have uh, access to enough capital to be able to close on the deals that uh, you, you know, we ultimately get tied up. So that, that that's really why um, we're kind of, you know, with the operational reasons I mentioned, just having the ability to attract more capital just makes sense for us to do bigger and bigger deals so we can put that capital to work. Do you recommend that other multifamily investors and people who are syndicating deals 
evolve how you're evolving from C class to B class? I don't know. I don't know if there's a one size fits all type of thing. I know a lot of people have been really successful just finding a niche in the C class space and they don't want to grow and big and be big and, and take on more and more capital. You know, I think I could have I could have gone faster than I did, Joe, if I would have been willing to take on more private equity type uh, investments. But those come with a lot of strings attached to it, and they really want to have a lot of operational control and say over what you do on a uh, regular basis. So we've kind of shied away from doing that and just really stuck with uh, just kind of our network and our and our database and, and just trying to grow that through organically through doing good deals and returning capital. So that's kind of what we've done. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing. My life is a little bit more complicated than it used to be. I can tell you that when it was just uh, me out there doing some deals. And now we got a company and employees and payroll and lawyers and all that stuff. So I don't know if it's uh, better, but it's, uh, you know, what we, we've chosen to do. When you do the deals, has your have your fees increased since you have started? The first four deals I did, we I, I did a, a much lesser structure because I wanted to get critical mass like overnight. And so I took a little less than I probably could have taken if I wanted to go a little slower. And once I was able to get a track record and establish myself as a a credible deal uh, syndicator, then then we, you know, kind of went and got more of a market based uh, compensation. So really, we haven't changed our compensation much since uh, the last, what, seven, eight deals. Um, so, we'll, you know, basically since the last time I talked to you, I haven't changed my compensation. But, uh, you know, if someone's out there trying to get started, you know, certainly don't. I, I didn't want to focus so much on how much money I made. I really just wanted to focus on doing good deals, getting them done, and establishing a track record because I wanted to be in the business, uh, you know, in a big way quickly. For a best ever listener who is uh, has not done a large apartment community and is looking at doing syndication, just to give him or her a sense of how much that the syndicator uh, could make, what would be an example and how would those fees be broken down? You don't have to give specifics about any particular deal that you've done if you're not comfortable or you can, whatever's easier, but can you give us an idea? Yeah, so there's many ways to skin the cat. So there's not really uh, one one right answer, but you know you typically get in charge some or all these fees and, and get sort of this kind of structure. You know, it, it ranges anywhere. You know, you charge it from acquisition fees when you buy the property, disposition fees when you sell it. You can um, you know charge asset management fees like an ongoing percentage of revenue. Some people call construction management or charge construction management fees. So if you're doing a renovation, you get a percentage of the dollars that you spend as well as your promote. So your promote is kind of like your carried interest in the deal or, or the ownership you get by being the deal sponsor. And you do something simple like we typically do and just take a percentage of the deal, you know, straight up. Or you can pay a preferred return to your investors where the investors are guaranteed a 6 or 8% return. And then above it, you have a waterfall split where, you know, once they're paid their, say, 6% preferred return, above that it's split, you know, 50-50, 60-40, whatever the split is, where if it's a home run type of deal, then the promoter will really get a big payday on the back end by having a larger split. So there's, there's many ways to do it, but, I um, mean, if you're out there syndicating a deal, um, you know, you just need to be be positive, not, you know, uh over the deal to death and making sure it's a fair deal for your investors 
that they're going to get, you know, adequately compensated because if they're, you know, they're taking a lot of risk investing in you and taking on someone's capital and make sure that it's, you know, a fair deal for everybody that you're getting paid and you're compensating yourself for your time and your efforts. But at the same time, you're not, you know, just nickel and diming everyone. Because in my experience, people get more frustrated about all the little fees. So uh, simpler is better, in my opinion. So we always just do a very straightforward, simple structure where we just take an acquisition fee, take an asset management fee, and just get a percentage of the deal. I don't, I don't typically laden it in with other other deals or have different hurdles of uh, return requirements where the uh, the split progresses as you hit different return return uh, numbers. From an evolution standpoint, from where you were to where you are now, I've taken away three things, and I want to see if there are any other aspects of the evolution from how to evolve your multifamily syndication business. One, you've talked about the evolution of your asset management. Two, you've talked about doing bigger deals. And then three, you've talked about doing uh, newer properties. Is there any anything else that's evolved between then and now? You know, we've tried to uh, streamline our, our equity process a little bit more um, while, while still shying away from doing more institutional style equity. So uh, I've, you know, done, I've tried to get it where we have basically three avenues source equity. So depending on the deal and the size of uh, the, the raise that we need, I kind of determine which way I want to go. Um, so we've kind of just done regular syndications where I just, you know, get on the phone and, you know, raise money. We typically have a hundred thousand on minimum when we're doing it and just kind of go through our existing network. We've done it where we just JB with this one high net worth individual. So we have a couple of really high net worth individuals. We just JB with them and get one equity check. And then uh, the most recent, the newest addition to kind of our playbook is I've JB'd with a, a local, uh, another local uh, real estate investor that has a, a really big network and big database, but doesn't necessarily have the interest anymore in being the operating partner. So we've JV'd it where we've been able to uh, kind of co-sponsor a deal and raise capital through his network. So just trying to uh, to evolve. I've, I've been looking and, and thinking seriously about doing crowdfunding for the last, you know, 12, 18 months. I just ha- still haven't pulled the trigger on that, but that's that might be a new uh, a new play in my playbook uh, in 2016. When you were talking about the, the third option of those three, JV with local real estate investor, who has a big database and doesn't necessarily want to be the operating partner? You're local as well. I mean, you're in you're in Fort Worth. Where are you in Colleyville, right? No, 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 I'm in I'm in uh, I'm actually in the Dallas side, so I'm in Plano. Oh, you're in Plano. Okay, for some reason I thought you were in in Colleyville. At least that's where we had lunch last time. That is. Yeah. So you are you're local though. The point is that you're lo- you're in Dallas, Fort Worth, and you're talking about you know partnering with a local investor. Whenever I hear that, I initially think, well, you know, Michael's buying a place in San Antonio. He's living in Dallas. It makes sense for him to partner up. What is the the structure that you would have with this, also this local individual, as far as when you do the joint venture? We we would just uh, divvy up the you know, any sort of acquisition fee and any sort of you know sponsorship equity that we get or the promote by being the, in the deal we was kind of have an agreed upon split where you know he gets this percentage and we get, keep this percentage um you know to to us uh the, the deal we did that way uh was actually worth it to us because i was able to raise equity in one phone call versus having to have you know a week or two weeks worth of phone calls we had a pretty short timeline on the deal so we had to get it done quickly so 
it was uh, worth it to us to give up a little piece of the deal. Uh, plus, there's a first transaction with uh, with them that we I thought we can do multiple deals, and I do believe we'll be able to do multiple deals. So by uh, by giving up a little bit on the front end to establish a relationship, just trying to look for more of a a long term approach. I'm never really trying to look for a short term approach. Just trying to build good relationships and do good deals. And I think uh, in the long run, it's all going to kind of pay off. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that we should as it relates to evolving a multifamily syndication business? Yeah, you know, one of the things I've been doing, I think, a pretty good job about is setting both, you know, five-year goals and then working our way backwards and having yearly goals and having quarterly updates and making sure, you know, I write them down. I have them on a whiteboard in my office and I look at my goals all the time every day when I glance up to it and just make sure that the activities I'm doing are you know, working towards uh, achieving my goals that that I've set out for myself, that my goals are aggressive, but still realistic. And, you know, like I said, I'm, uh, I started, I'm constantly always putting myself slightly out of my comfort zone so I can just kind of push myself to evolve. And, you know, I do have aspirations of growing into, you know, a reasonably large company one day. So if I don't push myself, I'm not going to get there. So, and that, that might not be the right thing for everybody, but for me, I really want to kind of grow and evolve and push myself into doing uh, bigger and better quality deals and building out a company and an infrastructure that can one day I can kind of take a little bit more of a step back from operational role and just kind of serve as uh, kind of like chairman instead of uh, CEO. That's kind of what my ultimate goal would be. What's your five-year goal? My five-year goal, really, we, we you know, it's more on passive income. So I have a, a pretty healthy monthly income number that I want to, that I want to hit that'll allow myself to have a really nice lifestyle. So I don't necessarily look at it as far as number of units. It's more of a, I won't call it passive income. Let's call it a residual income to me on a, on a monthly basis. And just want to have a really nice uh, re- recurring income that if I don't want to work hard that year, I don't have to. Well, Michael, as always, just a, a wonderful conversation where we learn a whole lot from someone who is in there doing it and doing it at a rate that a lot of others are not. You really are in the upper 5% of people in this business who are doing what you're doing. And uh, very grateful to have you on the show again. Thank you for talking about everything that we have, specifically how to evolve a multifamily syndication business. The four ways that you mentioned that your business has really evolved and again, we, we've been able, we've been fortunate enough to hear the evolution on this show because I interviewed you over a year ago. Uh, and again, best ever listeners, you can go check out that interview. It's episode number 22. And on that interview, or whenever you were doing that interview, you had four deals and 800 units. And now you've got 11 deals, 2,000 units, and you've sold some as well. And he, here, here are the four takeaways. One is asset management evolution. You are streamlining the process. You've got a checklist that continues to be added to, and you're doing some analytics in graphical form through Resi Model, a portfolio asset management software, as well as matching that up with your database and, and making it a nice, clean presentation to your investors, number one. Number two, you had a minimum of 100 deal or 100 units. Now it's uh, 150 and likely more 200, more likely 200 because of the economy of scale. 
and all the other benefits that go along with really the time that's associated to doing a deal. Might as well do it larger. Number three, newer properties. You uh, mentioned the classy properties tend to have non-reoccurring, reoccurring expenses such as sewer systems and annual inspections where the cities are targeting the C-class properties, in particular maybe an electrical system. So the numbers might look good on paper and they still perform, but it's just simply uh, fewer headaches with the the newer properties. And then four, the streamlined equity process. And I'm glad that you went into the three different types of avenues that you have for raising the money. One is regular syndication. Two is joint venture with one high net worth individual. And three is joint venture with local real estate investor and a big database who uh, doesn't want to be the operating partner. So, and then thank you for talking about your goals as well. That's that's really uh, nice to hear. And best ever listeners, do you have your five-year goals listed out? If not, highly recommend doing that. Put it on a vision board. And then as Michael does, and as I do as well, reverse engineer that back to one-year goals and break that up on quarterly updates, which I don't do, but I'm going to start doing after this conversation. So thank you so much, Michael, for being on the show, sharing your advice, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever.